Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Unity is Community podcast by California Canopy. I'm your host, Matt Sully, and this is part two of Legacy with Coley Candell. Now, I first interviewed Coley way back in 2006 when I was a sportscaster for a small TV station in Temecula, California, called KZSW. And back then, we followed Vista Marietta pretty darn closely, and what stood out what you recognized right away was the intensity of Coach Candell and his ability to build a program. Because he started that in 2003. By 2006, people up and down the state really started to notice what he was doing at VMHS and them really turning into a power in Southern California and, of course, throughout the state. And that culminating in a championship, a section championship in 2011 over powerhouse Corona Centennial. Now, Centennial, they're producing a number of Division I athletes each and every year. Anywhere from, you know, like 5 to 15, maybe 20 some years. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But they just had a heck of a lot of talent coupled with amazing coaching. And you have tremendous results. So, Vista Marietta lost to... Corona Centennial, the previous two seasons leading up to the 2011 championship. They lost to him in the postseason, and then Coach Candell learned a lot from that experience, and he wound up changing his entire coaching philosophy from those two defeats, and that's ultimately why they wound up winning in 2011. So Coach gets into a little more in-depth about that. Also talks about his collegiate career, the ups and downs, ultimately transferring to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and coaching his daughters in track and field. Now he retired from football, coaching football in 2015 to coach his daughters. He wanted to focus on that. He's able to do that alongside his wife, who's the assistant coach. We have that, plus much more, coming up in part two of Legacy with Coley Candell on the Unity is Community podcast. So you go to University of Oregon straight out of high school. And, you know, obviously Oregon's the, the best, uh, if not the best, one of the best track and field schools in the country. It, it, was that the biggest draw? From an early age when I was running, I always wanted to go to the University of Oregon. I visited the University of Oregon every summer and with oh, wow. the hope of being able to one day get to go to school there. And when I went to school there, uh, this is what I was referred to earlier, was my expectation. I forgot what, I got away from what got me there to the University of Oregon. I became wanting, forgetting the progression that it takes to be an elite athlete. And I wanted to be that elite number one athlete my first year as a freshman in college with my in my first year of running cross country and I didn't allow progression. And what happens when you don't allow progression to happen and you fail, you have nothing to fall back on except for negativity. Mm. And exactly what I did. My expectations were to go to the university of Oregon as a freshman and be NCAA champion. Cause in my weird mind. I was the number one nation runner in the nation in the mile my senior year. And I ran and I played football. Just imagine what's going to happen when I train all year long to run that mile. I'm going to be better. And I wasn't. 
I, I mean, I did, I improved my time. And my freshman year, I ran uh, in the 1500 meters, which I ran equivalent to about, I can't remember exactly, but 342 or 343. Wow. Which is a right around the four minute mile mark. Yeah. And I thought myself as a complete failure. Because, really? because I was expecting myself to be the NCAA champion and I couldn't even make it to NCAA. I didn't even qualify for NCAAs my freshman year. What did, what did the, what did the NCAA champion run that year? Oh, they run. It's all packed in there. I can't remember the year. No, but what, what was the time in the 1500? It's so tactical. Sometimes it's even slower than that, but you have to run 140, oh. or 140, 342 low to even qualify two to get to the NCAAs and the, you know, the fastest person probably ran 336, 337. Mm -hmm. um, but my, in my warped mind, I didn't allow my bot myself to um, progress and, and make goals along the way that met the need of progression towards being the NCAA champion. Mm -hmm. So, uh, funny i i after that point i changed everything i went and lived in altitude uh, for all the summer yeah. i did um i got i just put so much pressure on myself to be something that i wasn't ready to be that i actually um you know kind of ran started to run myself out of the sport because i lost everything I'd had in high school, the confidence, the edge, the fun. Uh, the fun, and it became something different. It became a job. And as soon as it became that, I never made the big jumps that I thought I could. So and, at that, at that point, you weren't excited to go train. No, I was excited to train. You, it's funny. It's people that are motivated. They'll train but they won't train the correct way. Okay. And it's not, and this is what I learned in coaching. It's not what you do. People are so concerned about what you do and what workouts you're doing, what you're doing here, what you're doing there, what, 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 what. And it's not, what has nothing, actually I shouldn't say nothing, what has something to do with it, but it's not the main thing that has something to do with it. It's how you do it is the main factor on what you do. So I was worried about all this what stuff, what I was doing, training at altitude, training this, training that. I never focused on the how. Mm. How my mind was, how my mindset was, how, and I thought if I just did more and more and more and more, that was gonna equal success. And what happens is more does not equal success. How? So what happened, what happened your sophomore year? Um, sophomore year, I actually went back to the University of Oregon. Um, I made the cross country. I, you know, here I was never ran a cross country in my life. The second year, I remember I, um, I was in such good shape in August. I was in so <laughs> better shape. I worked so hard because I was going to now change everything. Nothing worked last year. <laughs> so I changed everything and I uh, ran well in cross country uh, a little bit. Then I faltered at the end of the year. And I just, as a result, um, put myself in a place, a dark place as an athlete of questioning mm -hmm. what you do, 
and which and once you go there it's really it's hard tough to get, to get out. out you can't and i knew i had to make a change and that change was to come back to california and come closer to home and i went to cal poly san luis obispo and i went there because um the coach that was just there was a non just he was uh i just can't just no nonsense okay uh, and and so your your uh was was your wife at home or she no, was off she was off she was competing. at ucla she was at ucla okay she was at ucla doing my future wife at that point was out ucla doing so it brought you guys up. it brought you guys within you know a couple of hours of each other yeah yeah but we still had our separate kind of our separate lives you okay know, running and um, our academics and everything was important so we uh we still had those, you know, separation because of the importance of um, what was important in our life. And, you know, still today, if I had to go back and redo my college experience, I, I'd go back to, I'd do the same thing I did because it taught me so much about myself because it was the first time I really failed, <laughs> really utterly failed as an athlete and as you know i struggled in all facets of my life um and coach i i want to dive into this a little bit um because on on some level i i understand what what you're you're talking about and a lot of a lot of athletes out there understand that and uh from what i'm taking from this and and you alluded to it is that it affects not only what you do on the field uh, but, but off the field as well. And then it hits, it can hit at the core of who you think you are. Um, right. And, uh, I don't know, uh, talk a little bit about that. What, you know, what did you do to kind of get out of that place? But before you do that, how are you feeling, uh, when, when you lost your confidence? Uh, when you lose it, completely lose it i mean there's situations that you lose it and then gain it back and lose it and gain it back this was a complete um man i gotta reevaluate what i'm doing and how i'm doing it and in interesting it for my running career even though i went to cal poly san Francisco and i um was all american there and i did some good things there i just never ever um ever got that back Ask, being a, in terms of the edge it takes to be the elite at something yeah I just never got it back it didn't come back and it only came back when i figured out you know this coaching thing uh. and, and that's when i feel like the first time it came back a little bit in terms of now, getting that edge back of knowing what to do, when to do it, and letting it just naturally happen. But, so uh, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't come back at, at Cal Poly, where you were, you were an yeah, all American. Yeah, I was all American, and um, you know, at that point, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo was Division Two, so okay. the, the standards were a little bit lower. Uh, okay, the quality was still there, but the, you know. So you depth. didn't, okay, okay, I, I want to, coach, okay, 
I want to dive into this. So you, even though you're an All-American, you're like, well, it's not against the quote-unquote best. So you weren't able, and I, I want to ask this question too, was, was it about feeding, feeding the, the, the ego to a point? You get that high of success, right? And that feeling you want to continually replicate. And you work, you work, you work, you work. And if it's not there by way of, of failing, right, not winning, not producing, then it can kind of put you in, in a place where you don't, you don't feel good. And I know that's, <laughs> that's how it was. That's how it was for me. Um, for you, what, I, what was that like? And then it just, coach, it really just seems like, well, I, I didn't do this at the highest level, so it doesn't mean as much. Am I right or wrong with that? Yes and no. Okay. Um, you, you, at, I remember at the time, because you can always reflect back on now and tell the real story. But at the time, I was, you know, I was doing my thing. I didn't know any different. I was trying to get back to where I wanted to be. And I getting back to um, pursuing the goals and aspirations I set forth. And then it, um, it came a point of realizing, hmm, I'm not going to get to that point. And so that was for me. What else can I do to affect people? And, and, and real quick, did you have Olympic dreams? Uh, when I was younger, I thought that was the progression. And I should have had that progression. I don't say that was wrong. My problem was I took a, too big of a jump expectation-wise from going out of high school into my freshman year. And there's no one to point a finger to. There's no one to blame. There's no one to understand. It was solely just me being me and making a mistake. And, that, and, that, and, I, I, and I want to point this out, too. That's not physically it was emotionally, it was your mentality, your mindset. Yeah. So what, and we can talk about this in a minute, but what, what would be the biggest advice or what, what do you tell, what do you tell your, uh, your student athletes as it pertains to that? And, and does that, is that why the resting, uh, as you talked about resting more than, uh, you train sometimes, is that kind of where that, where that plays a role is is that where you you develop that philosophy? Yeah, and that's the the process of being the words that come often out of my mouth are patience and progression. Mm. Um, be patient, understanding that we're not <laughs> you we're not going to be able to facade of a structure here. We're going to actually build a structure that's going to last you know the test of time. Uh, we're building something that's going to be there for as long as we want it to be there. Um, and it's not made in a day. And it's not made with one great workout. It's not made with one great race. And so we use those words a lot, um, along with the word I think I've repeated three or four times is keep the main thing the main thing. And that what does that mean is I talk to our athletes and what is the most important thing that we can do this year? And usually nine out of 10 times, a kid will come up with something that's towards the end of the year. Okay. If that's what's important, then that's the main thing. And then kind of use it against them the entire year. 
well, why aren't we running fast right now? Well, you told me you wanted to be in the state meet on the podium at the state meet. If you're going to be on the podium in June, in March, you don't get on the podium in March. <laughs> you get in in June. And so those are the kind of things that we talked about track-wise, but also football-wise um, about the process. of, And it goes back to that preparation thing and my philosophy is um, I tell parents at the parent meeting, hey, here are your times to schedule appointments. You know, we practice Wednesday nights. So practice them, have appointments after school on Wednesday. Or put them at 7.30 on Friday night. Don't put them at 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon or Thursday. And they go, well, 7.30 is game time. Exactly. Mm. I'd rather you miss a game than miss practice. Huh. Why, why, do, why do you not schedule at 7.30 on Fridays? Why? And so, again, it's just a, a philosophy that I still get it today when a kid tells me he has to miss practice. It's like, you know, nails on a chalkboard. It's like, and they, and they all look at me too because I give that look every time. And, you know, there's good reasons. Um, but it's like missing practice is like one of the – the big it drives deals. you nuts it drives me nuts <laughs> it drives me nuts um, hey know. well that's 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 a perfect segue into coaching and i want to talk about what you brought up earlier coach uh playing centennial for the first time where that that transformed your philosophy uh was that was that what year was that was that 05 06 I, I don't know i think it was late late eight, nine or 10, I think oh, it's okay. somewhere around there. We, um, and this was in the CIF finals. No, we played them the first time in the first round. Oh, okay. And they had a really, really good team. I mean, they had, they are really good. And we played them actually played them the second round and they, they whooped up on us. And that was like understanding. Okay. They're in, in my mind, in my, they're just way better than me. They have, you know, I think at that time that they had 14 Division One athletes, you know, yeah. Taylor Martinez, that quarterback who went to Nebraska. Oh, yeah. You know, a couple, Burfett, that linebacker. Yeah. They had guys everywhere. And so you leave that game going, they're just better than us. They're just flat out better than us. Not big deal. The second time we played them and was in the CIF championship game, they came to the realization that it doesn't matter where we line up. It doesn't matter how much time we spend in the weight room. It doesn't matter anything because they're going to get to from point A to point B faster than us because mm. that's how they practice every day. And at that point, I changed my whole philosophy on practice and how we look at practice. And that kind of jumped us into that run of seven CIF title championship games in a row because we changed how we approach practice. So specifically, and, what did you do differently? Um, the emphasis was how fast we can do something more than how well we can do something. Uh, <laughs> it sounds okay. weird. No, you know, no, no. You, how fast you can do something. It's hard to teach coaches too, especially coaches that have been coaching for a while. Right. What you tell them 
is not important as how fast they can get from point A to point B. And they didn't quite understand that. It took us a while. But after Centennial, I went, it doesn't, it didn't matter where we lined up our dudes. It didn't matter. We had a team that was good and they just made us look really bad. And because it was, they do this all year long. This is how they know life is as football. We are trying to, to learn how to do it in one week. And it's not, don't get confused on how snap, how fast you snap the ball. You know, that that's not that kind of what I'm talking about. It's Centennial has it when they snap the ball, everybody's moving so fast that they know exactly what they're doing. They're not thinking. They're just getting from point A to point B faster. So you, you saw that, you saw that as coaching in a combination with the athletes or, you know, sometimes you're just going to be out athlete, yeah, out, you can, out athleted, right? Um, that first time, that first time you had that feeling. I left the game having that feeling. The second time, you know, it's, you know, you can't, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the athletes on the field and who had better athletes. It didn't matter. Mm. It didn't matter. Now, again, if you're playing it and you have all of the, you have an all-star team, you have dudes from everywhere. It doesn't matter where you line up. You're going to win. You're just better. But when things are equal or a little bit slightly tilted the other way in terms of athletic ability, then you really feel like, oh, this is just flat out coaching. This is just, they have a philosophy that's great for the game of football and winning football games. And that was kind of what I took out of it and then changed um, what we did. I didn't change everything. I just changed the order in which we taught things. Because mm. everybody usually teaches how to do something and then how fast to do something. Well, if you understand human programming is that if you teach a kid how to do something 50 times a certain way and then you tell them to do it faster, it's not going to get much faster because the mind is already programmed how fast they're going to do it based on how they did it the first 50 times. What we now do change it to is don't care what they do program to do it fast and then teach the what after. So everything they know is just at this speed. Okay. And so it has uh, some pluses and minuses, but that was kind of the, the changeover that kind of led us to um, that and how hard we practice. I mean, our so when you, are, and I'm sure you've done this, uh, when you went back and looked at film from that season, the second time you played Centennial compared to the following season of the speed in which you guys were getting after it during games, how much of a difference in your opinion was there? It was a huge difference. It wasn't, um, it allowed us to have a chance to compete. Um, with a team like Centennial, uh, they, we were young in the philosophy and they'd lived in the philosophy for 10, a decade already. And so we were playing constant playing catch up. And what we did is this, we practiced Centennial all year long. Mm. We practiced against the Centennial offense five minutes every day and every practice for the entire year. Mm just to have a chance. <laughs> right. Because you, you knew you were going to see him. 
just to have a chance because the year first year we didn't have a chance it was like oh it doesn't matter we got to change what we're doing not change you know our dudes we're going to get our the guys that we have are the guys that we have we got to get them to play like this just to have a chance just to be considered so that was kind of our, our changeover in my philosophy of coaching. And I kind of carried it all the way through until I stepped away from coaching football. Uh, it's because most times our kids would come off the field of a game and go coach it. Practice was harder than that game. You're you know? like, yes, you know, that's you. Kinda, and that's, <laughs> and that's cause that's what we did. We started that from the second we walked in the weight room in January and carried it all the way through the, the our kids just didn't know anything different and they'd go to college and they go coach no one knows how to run coach they all they, the coaches get mad at them when they don't have to teach them how to run it's like this is just how we played football you know and this is just this is just what we did this well, is what football make, practice that's got to make you feel that's got to make you feel real good when your athletes are coming back from big time division one programs and telling you this, right? Yeah. And it's, it was also the philosophy that I was, I also knew the game that I'm preparing these kids for the next level. You know, at that point we'd had 47 kids, um, get division one scholarships and all 47 of them played for the team they went to the school they went for. Really? We, they all played. No one dropped out. No one washed out. No one. Now, a couple, two of them changed schools, transferred schools, you know, but they all played. They all knew how to play the game. And that was kind of the most proud thing was that what we're doing is what the college wants them to be prepared for. Because our kids are going in prepared to play college football. This I is, this is what, and, and we got that feedback because the kids would say, Coach loves me. He, he, I'm already doing what he wants me to do. Nice. He said, he, I, can, I can teach you the game, but I can't teach you how to play fast like you're playing already. The hard part's over. And so wow. they'd find themselves on the field or they'd find themselves, and our kids would go back, Coach, I'm just doing what we did. I'm not, I wasn't even the hardest worker in, in high school. And now I'm considered the hardest worker in college. It's, so they're getting these accolades <laughs> and coming back and feeling confident that they were being prepared the correct way, which the colleges wanted them to play. Wow. Anyways, and, and just getting back to Centennial here. So in 2011, you guys beat them in a CIF championship game, correct? Yep. And how did that feel? Uh, it felt like we made the right decision. Uh, because the year before we just absolutely got just well, coach did okay. It yes, making didn't you feel awesome? Like how good did that feel? Uh, it felt it felt incredible. You know, anytime you do something, you put a plan in place, and it works out, <laughs> you kind of feel really good. But especially, and, especially to beat them because they were the whole reason why you changed your philosophy with what you were doing, right? And the culmination of, yes, we, we, we did it, yes. Or you were, 
I, okay, now now I'm getting back to your original answer. Okay, now I get it. You're like, okay, it was the right, it was the right decision. <laughs> but it's, you were able to celebrate, right? It was more, yeah, we definitely celebrated, and it was one of those moments, and where you went, because when you first come to a new school, and we came to Vista Marietta, opened up in 2003, and you're like, oh crap, we've got to play Centennial. If we're going to win a CIF title, we got to beat Centennial. And then in track, you're like, oh no, we got to beat Long Beach Poly, who had been on this huge run of CIF champions and state champions. We're like, we're never going to win a CIF championship here at a brand new high school in Vista Marietta out in the middle of nowhere. And, and then you start chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And you realize that you're, you are at that level. So, you know, beating Centennial that, that one year was not, was great to win the championship and great to beat them, but it was more of the competitive, they challenged us, we challenged ourselves, and we, we rose to the challenge. It was that competitive thing that we were talking about earlier that when you're super competitive, you don't want to play the weak, you want to play the strong. You want the people that, that make you do things differently, that make you change what you do. And that's kind of the, you know, uh, proud, you know, again, Centennial's done that to a lot of teams. Um, yeah. And what did you learn out of it? <laughs> and that's, uh, that was more the proud thing of understanding that it was the right choice. We did make the right choice. We practiced for Centennial. We practiced this, our kids the week of, they'd already been practicing for six months for this game. They knew what they were going to do. But if you watch that game, it still doesn't matter. Centennial does it so much better that they still can hurt you. Uh, and But you, your kids start doing it, and it's nothing. It's normal. So the interesting thing is when I look at back at the film, I think the year that we beat Centennial and whatever that is, 2010 or 11, they had a slightly, I'd say, a tick better team than us. Mm -hmm. um, when we beat them. And then the next year, we lost to them in the CI final game on a last second. Um, they scored and we went for two at the end and we didn't get two. And I think we had a slightly tick better team than them. So it's uh, interesting how it plays out sometimes. But um, so. So, you know, Coach, you, moved, you, you moved to Marietta in 2003. You moved your family away from home. Uh, why did you do that? Um, you know, the the honest reason was that we were living in Santa Barbara, excuse me, Carpinteria, um, you know, half a block from the beach in a two-bedroom condo. Mm. And we're like, we're going to have to live in this condo for the rest of our life. Or we can buy a million-dollar two bedroom or excuse me, three bedroom, one and a half bath fixer upper in Carpinteria and both of us work forever or we can make a change. And at that point, uh, the change was kind of the best option. Uh, I was going to be my seventh, actually eighth year of teaching at that point. Uh, and so we knew the athletic director that was going coming down to Vista Marietta. And that was and Coach Moore? 
and Ray Moore. And we're like, wait a minute. Why is Coach Moore, Ray Moore opening, leaving where he has it rolling at Diamond Bar? Mm. Why is he moving to go to a brand new school? And what does he know that we don't know? (laughs) And my parents had lived down here at this area when it was nothing. And I'm like, I remember time visiting. I'm like, there's no way in heck I'm ever going to move to Marietta. <laughs> I, you know what's funny? I said the same thing. Yeah, there's no <laughs> way I moved. Well, <laughs> there's, and so then we, of course, we moved down here, and we we just figured out that it's a, it was perfect. For, it was a Marietta's a perfect to make it a perfect for bringing up kids, young kids. Yep. Now, once you get older kids, it's probably not the place to be. It's a little, you know, dead, but yeah. we just um, came at kind of the right time uh, and were able to, you know, raise our kids there. My wife didn't have to work. She could stay at home because we'd sold our condo, you know, in Carpinteria and housing prices were way cheaper here. So it allowed her to stay at home and a lot of benefits that we took um, at that time just to take advantage. And we just got super lucky in getting finding a school that kind of had similar philosophies of how important the three A's are. It's not just one A, it's not just academics, which is the most important thing, but it's about the combination of the um, arts, the athletics and the academics that make the complete person. And we lived in that philosophy here at Vista Marietta for a long time. And uh, so being it, being at Vista it, and, do you, do you ever sit back and look at what you've been able to build here? Um, you, you built a football program uh, that was top, you know, top in the state. You know, uh, people knew of Vista Marietta, I'm sure, nationally. I know they did all over the state. I know when we were covering you guys, that's when you really started getting a thing going. 06, 07, uh, really building it. And then getting out those athletes. How many athletes uh, were you able to help get scholarships for, whether it was we, track and field or well, football? In football? I don't know the total numbers, but at one point it was 47. Um, Is that just division, division one? one? Yeah. What about all, point, what about all the other, you know, D2, I, there's uh, D3, NAIA? I don't know the count. Um, not that we don't care about the count, but it was more the reflection where, we were sitting back one day in like 2014, 2015, and we're like, we have somebody playing on every single TV game on Saturday afternoon all day long. I mean, we, I'm like, how many guys do we have playing right now? And, and one Saturday, we had uh, 24 athletes starting at a division, not starting, but playing or on special teams or starting at a division one program. We're like, oh my gosh. We started counting them and then we went, okay, how many guys before that? And then we're like, oh my gosh, all these guys played. Cause what we hear all the time from the college recruiters is that they're trying to get 40%, 40% of their kids that they recruit in a recruiting class. They hope to play one play for their team, their mm-hmm. school during their four years at in college, I'm like 40%. He goes, yeah, that's, that's a great number. A lot of schools are under 40%. I'm like, so then we went, coach, we we're talking to each other. Meeting. We're at 47 for 47 right now. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> huh. and, and then, of course, two kids transferred and we're like, 
Because we were, you know, when we were batting 100% for kids going to the school and playing for the school they went to and finding a way to get on the field. And you're like, so that was, you know, that's, I knew that number after that point, we don't count. It's just like building something. I don't really reflect back to things that we've done in the past. Well, Um, I use it, I use it, I use it as a point to make to the kids that thousands of kids before you have done it, thousands of kids have found a way to overcome adversity. Thousands of kids before you have been find a way to overcome it and be successful. But I, we really don't go back and say, man, this was, I can't believe we did this. And it's not, it's not, we're always looking for the future and how, what we need to improve to make changes for the future. At least what I do. Um, I don't think back to anything that we did was special. I just think back to what well, we did was what we are supposed to do. Coach, as a, as a, as an outsider looking in, cause I, you know, I came up from San Diego. I didn't know much about, uh, sports in, in the inland empire, let alone in Southwest Riverside County. Right. And, um, you know, as I started covering the athletics here in, in the local area, you realize you're like, whoa, like these teams are really good. And there's a surplus of talented athletes. And what I want, I want to just point out is that your football program, and this is, this is my perspective, really put this area of Southwest Riverside County on, on the map uh, throughout the state, uh, you know, because you look at San Diego, San Diego looked before San Diego looked at, you know, this, this part, this region, like, oh, whatever, we're going to go smoke those teams, right? In a preseason, Orange yeah. County, LA, they said the same thing, right? I, I, I you, you knew that, but then, cause you're, you're coming in from Carpenter, like you knew that you probably looked at your, well, it's not going to be that good. In my opinion, you're the one who turned all that around. Like you're the one who really started rocking and rolling with that and changing the perception of everybody from all over Southern California and up and down the state. So that that's my perception as an outsider looking in. You were the person that really did that because you built such a solid program, just really a really solid program. Um, and, and I'm sure there's many other people that feel the same way. You know, I, I don't see it that way. <laughs> it's, I, I don't, that wasn't my purpose and intention. Uh, you know, I, I just looked, still what I do today, I look at, I love to hear what people that are, that are successful over and over and over again and what they do and what they say and how they interpret things. Um, people that are one-hit wonders that are successful because they have talent you know, they obviously, that's okay. But I get the most out of people that have been successful over and over and over and over. And you look at, okay, what are they doing? What are they saying? What are they, how are they talking to their kids? How are they making their kids feel? What, how are they, um, you know, developing kids? And those are the kinds of things that, you know, that I, um, uh, so who, I as, enjoy. So who who do you, who did you look up to, or who, who did you research um, as a coach or a professional that well, you looked up to 
Right. And, and for me, I mean, uh, Coach Logan at Centennial was like, he was like, okay, this guy's got it figured out. You know, he's he's got it um, a system that allows um, things to happen the way he wants it to happen. And so you 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 pick up ideas from him, and then you you know, of course, a lot of times it's because I don't have you know a lot of the high school coaches around aren't you don't can't get information from and you pick up the the college coaches that are just amazing year after year after year and you hear what they say and how they interpret certain situations you know it's coach do you know do you know how humbling uh that is so i was expecting you to say like you know, like a John Wooden or maybe like, a, you know, Kobe Bryant or, you know, Vince Lombardi or something, something <laughs> like that. Bill Parcells, Belichick. And you pointed out one of your biggest competitors, right? So to me, and you talked about this before, understanding who you were at a young age as a coach and as a person and not many people would be able to say that and give that type of credit to a contemporary, but you just did it right now. And, uh, I find that, uh, really fascinating and something I think everybody can learn from. I've, I've gone, you know, when I was younger, <laughs> I would, I was a sponge. I went to coaching clinics as many as I could, and I could always pick up something. And I noticed I could go to any high school coach and any high school thing and pick up, get five things in an hour that I can use in our program. I go to an NFL coach or an, a college coach and I can get two. I go to an NFL coach and hear them talk. They're just, they're coaching a different game. Mm -hmm. The game is not the game that we're playing. Right. It's a completely different thing. And so I couldn't get, I didn't get anything out of them. So I just, started going to high school coaches and listening to what they had to say and how they went about doing it. And that's a lot of my philosophies, a lot of my ideas, a lot of my interpretation of things have all come from high school coaches. Just, and what about, what about your dad? Your dad my, was a college My dad, my dad UC was Santa Barbara. Yeah, what type of dad. impact did he have on the way <laughs> that you coach? Uh, interesting is, out of high school, I knew I wanted to do, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no clue what I wanted to be a part of. I didn't know what I wanted to do as a job. I didn't know what I want to major in. But I did it, what I did know I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be a coach and a teacher. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I knew 100% those are the two things I didn't want to do. What was I going to do? And that's because I saw my dad's hours and my dad's uh, away from home. I remember waiting for my dad to get home every night at eight or nine o'clock, you know, enjoying his headlights going into the driveway and running out to see him. Mm. And I didn't want that. I just didn't want that lifestyle. And then I went away for school and I was going to be, I was going to do something in business. I was going to do something in physics. I was going to do something in math. And then my Carpentry High School said, hey, come back and why don't you coach during the summer? And I coached during the summer. 
and I didn't want to go to school. I want to stay with the kids. And I went, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I found my passion. Yeah. My passion is seeing others achieve success and feel the way I felt when I was an athlete. And mm. that's kind of been my passion to help kids feel life the way I felt life. Not everybody can be a CF champion. Not everybody can be the fastest running in the state, but everybody can feel what I felt. By so you mentioned, with, you mentioned earlier that you didn't feel like you did at your peak in high school until you started coaching. That's when I realized that same feeling I got from winning in a race or winning a championship as an individual, I felt coaching a kid on a daily basis. You know, there's frustrating days and there's really bad days in coaching. <laughs> there are really bad days. But it's those days you drive home in your car in that 15, 10, 15 minute and you go, oh my gosh, I had a great day today because I affected someone else's life. I, somebody, a light went on in learning a skill. A light went on in terms of dealing with adversity. Um, a light went on um, of how to deal with a, a difficult situation. And that was like, that felt just the same as winning, driving home in a car after winning a CIF championship game. Mm. It felt the same way. It was that, you know, it was that, oh my God. And that's when it really got into my blood that I could teach and coach and have that same competitive spirit that I had being an athlete. I can do that as being a coach in different ways. Your competitiveness is now, can I get Johnny over there to do this? <laughs> yeah. Because Johnny doesn't want to do this. Johnny <laughs> wants to do something his, his own way. Can If I can get him to do it, that's a competition one. Uh, that's just kind of how I segmented it. And, and then it's, you know, influencing people to be the best version of themselves. Understanding that the sport that I'm coaching is going to end. For some, most of these kids, for 95% of them, is going to end in three, four years. Yeah. You know, for a couple extra ones that are 5% or 1% are going to do it for another four. And then that career is going to come to an end. And then we're going to have all going to have 60 to 80 years to do what? <laughs> to do what? To fall back on what? To, and my way I coach uh, is no different than the way I played the game. The only difference is when I played the game, I never spoke. I was quiet as can be. Smiling. Mm -hmm. And now I have to use words <laughs> and body language to get points across. So getting, getting points across with your student athletes uh, can, be, can be challenging, especially when they're your own kids. Yeah. So you, you've had the opportunity of coaching your daughters at the high school level, and you had that one season in 2018. Is that correct? Uh, last year, uh, two, 2018, I had both, uh, both my daughters. One was a freshman, one was a senior. Is that what it was? Yep. Yep. 
And that's and so and and on top of that, so you have both kids on the same team, right? But a, a few years prior, you elected to retire from coaching football, and I read that you were driving home one day, and don't quote me on this, uh, but you were driving home one day, and you're like, well, what am I doing? Uh, my, my kids are going to be here. I'm only going to have one chance to be with them every day and to coach them, but not only coach them with you being their coach, but also with your wife. <laughs> so yeah. what, what was that dynamic like when you realized, hey, I'm going to be done coaching football because I want to be with my family. I want to coach them. And then the other part of it, hey, we get to do it as an entire family. And yeah, and that was exactly how it happened. I was driving home one day and I went, uh, and it's not a bad, sounds horrible, but I didn't want to be, I didn't want my kids to be me looking in the window, waiting for my dad to get home at eight or nine o'clock. Um, and I'm like, I get one opportunity, one chance to coach, um, to be with my kids, my two girls. And I have a girl coming in in a year. And my daughter at that point was only a sophomore. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to give up football for a couple of years until my daughters graduate and I'm going to coach them in cross country. Um, and exactly what I did. And then I kind of made that decision like probably week three of our football season and didn't tell anybody until we um, unfortunately lost in the CI final game. And I'm like, okay, I'm driving home. I'm like, I'm upset. This will be the last football game I'll coach for a while. Um, because I'm going to coach my daughters. And I made that decision there. And, and interesting, it's one that the last year being at NXN and having our great year of being second in the state and being two points or three points away from winning a state And, and you're talking about being being able to qualify for the Nike Nationals. Yeah. Well, we were, we were second in the state. We almost, almost got third, three points from being state champions. And then we went up to Nike nationals, got invited, which was a huge deal. And my wife and I were the two head coaches. My two daughters were two of the seven runners, you know, out of the nine people we took almost 50% of them were Candells. And huh. that was, <laughs> we got an all expense trip paid for by Nike. Um, nice. But it was, that was kind of the, the purpose of cake. why I, I wanted to develop a program in cross country that um, would provide them what I want for every kid. What, and the crazy thing, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't do it. I would not coach my own daughters. No. Knowing now, it's interesting. I would not do it. Uh, it was great for my wife and I to coach together. It was great for that experience. However, um, knowing now, I wouldn't do it again. And the reason Are, why, okay. And the reason why is my daughters know me as dad and that's all they've ever known me as. And they want dad and they don't want coach Candell. Hmm. And maybe if I had boys or if I had a different mentality of my girls, but my girls couldn't differentiate and still can't because I'm still coaching one right now. 
that differentiate Coach Kandel and Dad. Mm. They they can't see me as Coach Kandel. They still are. They, they they still think I know nothing. They still think everything I say is wrong. <laughs> they still think that everything I tell them is the wrong thing. They have zero confidence in Coach Kandel, but they have confidence in Dad. Yeah. And for my daughters, it was really hard, and it's still really hard for my youngest daughter to um, accept me and coaching because my philosophy is great for me coaching someone else's kid. Mm. My philosophies of coaching aren't so good when they're coaching your own daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I would so, imagine uh, the looks, uh, the looks that you get. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, those those are those are priceless, and they say a thousand words, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's just it puts them in a put them in a tough position. I think you have to have a special individual to have to deal nowadays a teenager that deals with. I mean, at one point, my wife works here on campus. My wife's a counselor. I'm a teacher coach. Both kids were on campus last semester, so we had all four Candells on the same campus, and that's hard for um, a teenage girl. <laughs> it's really hard because uh, everybody knows your dad, everybody knows your mom, and they're just right around the. They could be just right around the corner. Right. So it's a, uh, it's just something that uh, uh, if I had, it's one of my, I don't know if you call it a regret, but something I would definitely would do differently. If I knew now, well, if I knew coach, then what I know now, do you think, uh, you know, 10 years from now, your daughters are going to look back and say, thank you. You know, who else, who else would have dad and mom coaching them and both mom and dad, very successful athletes and coaches, but coaching them, uh, in high school. Do you think on some level they're going to say thank you at some point, or at least at least we had that opportunity, or have they already done that? Um, that could be coming, <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. However, it goes it kind of against the basic purpose of why I coach, mm. um, and it's to create the best high school experience for every one of my student athletes. Uh. And by me being so entrenched into my daughter's high school and uh, running career, it's too close. Mm. And it's, uh, it's not allowing her to have the best high school experience uh, possible. So that's the problem is, is how do you get out of it? <laughs> How do you how do you make a change and what changes do you have to make to make it work? Well, coach, you were you were able to go to nationals and having successes as a family. Uh, you know, not many people can say that. I, I, I totally understand uh, what you're referencing to. And you want them to bat, to have the best experience uh, as possible. And it makes it difficult with mom and dad uh, right there. But uh, 
but it's a, it's a unique situation. And I, I think something that, that definitely should be recognized. And, you know, for you, cause we gotta, we gotta wrap, we gotta wrap oh, this no. thing up for you. Uh, just, just a couple of more things. And this was about legacy in your own words, your legacy as an athlete, what is it? My, oh gosh, my legacy as an athlete was don't let people determine your future. Um, my legacy is to do as an athlete, be the person you want to be, not the person that someone else wants you to be. Uh, anything is possible with the right kind of mindset and the right kind of attitude. Uh, nothing is free. Everything is earned. However, you do definitely have to love what you're doing and choose what you're going to do based on what you want to do. And as an athlete and as a coach, what do you tell kids that want to play at the next level? I know from my experience, you have to want it really bad to sacrifice uh, so much. Um, but what do you, what do you tell, what do you tell kids who really want to, to play at the next level or compete at the next level? That to be successful at the next level, it's a process. Um, it's not who you are right now. It's you're building the person that you're going to want to be in four years or three years or two years. Uh, you know, you are not the best version of you right now. And how do you progress yourself to being the best version of you in four years down the line? And it's just simple. It's we talk about to those kids is everything is important. The way you put your socks on, the way what you wear, the food you eat, the water you drink, everything is important to the outcome of what you want to get. Hmm. and it's a process and we talk to all our kids this way some of the processes no matter if you do everything right no matter you do everything perfect you're still never going to get to the highest level that you need to in order to play at that level you know and that's that's hard pill to swallow for a lot of kids that you know even though you do everything but the thing is the most important thing is being the best version of you what is, is the that, best version of you? Would you say that's your legacy as a coach? Being the best version of My yourself? legacy of a coach, and you talk to my kids, that would be my purpose or what my kids are, I think, I'm teaching. But what kids come back and tell me all the time is, Coach, you taught me how to practice. Mm. You taught me how to do the hard things. You taught me how to do things you don't want to do and do them every day that's what you taught me um so you sometimes you think you're teaching one thing and you're leaving a legacy one way and you're they're picking up something else but uh and that's just the reality as a coach is they're always watching and they're always and the kids are smarter than you ever can possibly think they know when you're faking it they know when you're telling the truth they know when you're honest they know when you are trying to be somebody that you're not. Um, so 
you know, that's kind of what I've, uh, I've gone for one thing and I've hit another thing. And so your, your legacy as uh, a husband and a father. My legacy as a husband and a father is still being determined. Uh, it's still a work in progress. Uh, something that, uh, just like with my coaching as an athlete, I've uh, had my good days, a lot of good days, and I've failed miserably uh, and learned from those mistakes. And the thing is, I'm... Uh, I'm just every day trying to become a better father, a better husband, uh, trying to figure out what works the best. And when you're coaching your own daughter, it's a challenge right now. I have every day of how to still be dad and make sure I'm dad without being coach mm-hmm. to my, my daughter that's still at home. Well, coach, thank you very much. We, uh, <laughs> we went over, but, uh, uh, lots of lots of good information, lots of good content here. Wow, hope you guys enjoyed that legacy with Coley Candell on our Unity is Community podcast. Let us know what you think. Send us an email to info at californiacanopy.com. Follow us on Instagram or on Facebook. That's at Cali Canopy, and subscribe to our branding question of the week. Everyone, please stay safe, please stay healthy, and we will see all of you very soon again. Special thanks to Coley Candela of Vista Marietta. I'm Matt Sully with California Canopy, and I am out of here. Woo!